Hello, hello. This is Ali Tadlawi. Welcome to Talk to Me About Food, a podcast about the forces impacting the American consumer's food choices, seen through the lens of a consumer researcher, consumer, human, me. In this show, I muse about the foods we try and buy and explore how we are or will be making, shopping for, preparing, and disposing of foods and beverages. In this episode of Talk to Me About Food, I explore the pages of Thinking and Eating, a recipe book of sorts published by the School of Life in 2019. The book promotes the idea that certain foods and recipes can change your mood in specific ways. Can zesting and juicing a lemon and then savoring a lemony morsel of cake lift your spirits? The authors of a different sort of recipe book called Thinking and Eating make the case that a lemon can, or really rather suggest, the possibility that it could, or should, anyway. This recipe book is published by the School of Life, which is the brainchild of Alan de Botton, a philosopher and author, a man of many interests. In Thinking and Eating, the School of Life turns this curiosity and imagination loose on the role of food in our lives. A team of philosophers, chefs, and psychologists has created recipes for a range of emotional need states. First, the book identifies 16 foods or ingredients that signify something more than the physical properties we usually associate with them. A lemon is sour in its unique lemony way that makes it the perfect accent or counterbalance in a thousand and one different ways. But upon reflection, the writers offer that the bright, waxy yellow ovoid is a symbol of hope, too. And that preparing a lemon drizzle cake, for example, might make you less anxious about something weighing on your mind. It could give you renewed faith in yourself, maybe even make your outlook brighter overall. Wow. That's a big promise to squeeze out of a humble piece of fruit. The same can be said for the other foods imbued with meaning and the ability to change your mood. This recipe book suggests that a lime is playful while the fig is a symbol of maturity. On the darker side, mushrooms symbolize pessimism and the tiny caper is associated with a heavy load, cynicism. The symbolism is expected for a couple of these foods, so garlic exudes assertiveness while honey signifies kindness. More thought-provoking is the eggplant, which suggests sensitivity. And an egg, which, no, it's not about fertility, is a symbol of compassion. Thinking and eating has other recipes to help you deal with moods and whims. Try a fish pie. School of Life is based in the UK. If you don't like yourself in some passing dark moment. Or consider making a bittersweet chocolate tart. If you're thinking to yourself, my past is so full of bittersweet memories. Here's a recipe that's an alternative to melatonin or something even stronger, tomato soup, if you're not sleeping well. On the other hand, if you wish to never fall into the eternal sleep, consider making barley salad with sugar snap peas. There's a section on making food for guests. My favorite is a recipe for sweet potato and coconut curry, which is supposed to mellow a particularly difficult dinner companion. Another fun one is the dilemma of what to serve when the extended family is coming around and you tell yourself, quote, what on earth do I have in common with them? Roast chicken is that answer. Got relationship problems? You can, quote, graciously withdraw from a sulk 
by serving up polenta with poached eggs. Need to liven up a grain relationship? Pull together a fondue, grill a lobster, or sweeten things up with tiramisu. There's brain food, too. Of course, they're not talking about the functional ingredients being added to our foods and beverages that are supposed to improve our cognitive skills, like AHA, which is added to baby food to help with brain development, and L-theanine, which is said to help with focus and concentration. The book goes beyond the old adage that fish is brain food. How about walnut miso noodles for more nimble thinking? A serving of roasted pigeon with celeriac puree and Italian kale and a black currant and red wine sauce is supposed to spark creativity. Do these recipes work in these ways to alter your mood or play on your emotions? I put it to test, sort of. This is not an easy question to answer, even with a really well thought through research design. There are many things to try to control for, like how competent someone is in the kitchen and the relative ease or difficulty of a recipe. Even if you can narrow it down to a measurement of the singular effect of a recipe or ingredient on mood, you run into the difficulty of getting folks to tap into their emotions when you ask them about food and eating. We default to our senses. It tastes great. Smells heavenly. It's rich and creamy. I love the crunch. Ooh, it's way too spicy. Anyway, I was curious to see how a random sample of people I know would respond to this idea. I recruited volunteers to make a few of these thinking and eating recipes without telling them exactly what I was looking for. I asked them about their experience preparing the recipe and eating the end dish, then got into moods and feelings specific to the star ingredient in the recipe they'd chosen. Jeff and his wife Jen made scotch eggs. As you'll hear, Jeff's not in the kitchen much, but I know he's always up for a challenge and something different to try. Here's a snapshot of what sounds like a positive experience overall. How are you feeling? Vanilla. <laughs> Vanilla, say more. Sit just right in the middle, not up, not down. Just right in the middle. Right in the middle, okay. Well, as for me, I'm feeling loose, I'm feeling free, I'm feeling uh, happy. Uh, I'm in a good mood. Today's been a great day. Uh, and I, I got a little energy because I'm excited to try this because this is probably outside of my range of abilities. So this is going to be a little bit of a test. <laughs> Anything in the kitchen is outside your range. All right. So we have, uh, we're in the middle of the process of our making the scotch eggs. We have boiled the eggs. We have peeled the eggs. We have portioned out the sausage. We, we have... <laughs> I peeled two eggs. She peeled four eggs. You mauled. Okay. Eggs. I mauled one egg. Uh, but I'm doing my best here. Uh, so, uh, Jen, I'm going to ask our second question, which is, how are you feeling now that you're making the recipe? How are you in feeling? In our groove. Feel like we're in a groove? Yeah, we got, we got a good little system. We got a little system. Usually we're, I don't like you in my kitchen, but you're allowed in. Okay, so we're working as a team, I guess, <laughs> taking that as a compliment. Uh, we are about to do some uh, packing the meat around the eggs and then uh, breading the eggs, getting them ready to be fried. So, uh, and as far as how I'm feeling, kind of feels like an adventure, um, not in my comfort zone. Okay, so we are officially done making the eggs. Uh, so Jen, how do you feel now that we are done preparing the eggs? I feel super proud. I know we're looking for more of an emotional thing, but I'm kind of pumped about it. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Right? They Our look good. Our little golden nugget. 
Golden Eggs. Our little Golden Eggs. Yeah, uh, I feel the same way. I was a little nervous about fried. I don't. I was telling Brandy, I don't think I've ever fried something before. No. So that was kind of an adventure for me. So feeling good about uh, finishing these. So now I'm ready. Let's uh, break into them. All right. Okay. So we've cut into the eggs. They seem nearly perfectly cut, or perfect, perfectly cut. Not nearly. They are perfect. Perfectly cooked. Uh, Jen, uh, how does it feel now that you're eating this meal? I'm super pumped. This feels very satisfying. Like I made something totally new. Yeah. Which is fun. Yeah, it is fun. And so, bonus, it tastes good. Yeah, it tastes super good. Um, it is something new, a challenge. Um, like I could see making this again for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so how, how has your mood changed? Okay, or so in the beginning I said my mood was vanilla. Mm-hmm. I am now... Ooh, what's the the ice cream that has everything in it? The yeah, Ben and Jerry's. Wow. Ooh, the, the birthday cake. it's the birthday cake smash vanilla ice cream flavor now. Mood. You're more excited. <laughs> yes. I was trying to stick with the analogy of okay. vanilla. Okay. <laughs> Work with me. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, my mood's very similar just because I was excited to start with. Um, I saw it as a little bit of an adventure, and the flavor of this is definitely more of an adventure. It's not something you have day in and day out, uh, but super good and definitely something I'd have again. Yeah. So, do you feel more grounded, more connected to the world around you? Not really. No? no. It, is, it definitely strikes me as like comfort food, though. Like, this is comfort food. This definitely falls into that category of, you know, hearty, stable, not very, um, it's not like, uh, it's not exciting, but it's like, you know, something you could like count on. Like if it was like a holiday tradition kind of meal. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I feel, I agree with the holiday tradition. Like I could serve these on Christmas morning. It seems like Christmas a thing, yeah. Lunch. It's, it it lunch. has that hearty like connectedness for me, for mm -hmm. sure. It feels like a holiday treat mm -hmm. kind of thing. Something you always look forward to every year. Or, forward, or if, if we lived away from family, like it'd be the thing that you could see. Like, get, mm -hmm. oh, I gotta get our, get our eggs. Um, let's see. At the same time, are you feeling more in tune with your senses and less focused on your thoughts? We're, yeah, because it's a whole lot of flavor in your mouth. Okay. This recipe is said to be able to make you appreciate the sensuousness of life, Ooh. to connect you with the sensory realm. Now that you made the scotch egg, does this seem credible? I would say, here's what I'd say, because you have so many textures, there's a lot of different, you got the crunch, you got the, kind of the jelly of the egg, you've got the firmness of the, the white of the yolk, and then you've got the sausage, like with the spices and stuff, you're getting hit with a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Versus plain eggs or like deviled eggs or... Yeah, I, I would say it does. It does seem credible because you're getting hit with so many different things. You've got Absolutely. some salt, you've got the yolk, you've got the yep. a lot of different textures. Yeah, it's fun. Absolutely. I think it should become a tradition. I like it. I like it. If a recipe is going to make you feel good or better in any way, the food's got to be tasty to begin with. Jeff and Jen enjoyed not only making, but also eating the scotch eggs. Thinking and eating suggests that this recipe is grounding that it connects you to the world around you, and the Shannon seem to agree with this. Preparing and biting into these crunchy, hearty, golden nuggets did appear to provide an all-encompassing sensory experience too. An experience that might have even provided sensuousness, which has got even more of an emotional tinge to it. My mom's cousin, Stina, an art history professor, felt a similar sense of sensory overload. She made a garlic ginger and turmeric broth, 
Here's how she describes it. So I was feeling tired. And because I was feeling tired, I was feeling a little down, I would say. I um, started making this recipe. I was still feeling tired. Um, but the smell of peppercorns was uh, waking me up. And also, as it was boiling, um, the complex smells were making me more pensive uh, for some reason. It says, how does it feel now that you're eating this meal? Um, and, I, and I wrote, the tastes are a bit addictive. Um, there was something about the combination of flavors that made, meant that I kept eating. I didn't stop, um, even just for a second. I just kept eating. Um, and it was clearing out my sinuses, which I appreciated. Um, I'd say I feel more awake. Is there anything about the end dish that stands out? Um, I'd say it has oomph to it. And then the question, do you feel more grounded, more connected to the world around you? And I'd say I think I do. Starting from feeling tired to feeling more awake and then having these uh, substantial um, flavors in my mouth. Uh, so yeah, I did feel more connected to the world or grounded. Back to Jeff and Jen. What's really cool is how Jeff took the experience in a different direction as well. Scotch eggs could be a holiday treat, something that could become a family tradition, an extended family holiday tradition to look forward to. That kind of occasion is packed with emotional good stuff that goes beyond what the authors of this book offered up. The thing that's hard to control for is the fact that these are new recipes to everyone who made them. So it's not surprising that Jen says she felt good about making a new recipe that turns out right. Her mood improved maybe as much for that reason as the sensory experience. This is echoed in feedback from my good friend Annie, a clinical psychologist, who made the avocado pasta. She was happy to conquer a recipe. That's the main thing she got out of making it. Here's what she had to say. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm neither up nor down. I'm just tired right now, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> as I was making the recipe, I honestly didn't focus on being tired. I just was focused on getting the proportions right and doing measuring properly. So my focus was more on the, on the process, not my emotional state. Now that I'm done making it, um, I think I'm a little less tired. Um, Mood-wise, I'm, I'm a little more upbeat. Um, there is a sense of satisfaction uh, knowing I created something from scratch, in a way. And as I ate the meal, um, you know, it was nice. It was nice to, to know that you made something and to literally taste the fruits of your labor, seeing something come to fruition. Um, and I did feel a sense of calm, except for when I was cutting the avocado. Um, that was a bit frustrating. I've seen it done on TV, and so I tried to do it that way, and it worked for the most part. I do feel a little bit more like I'm in control of things. And I know that, you know, the question was, um, do, you, do I have reassurance that some challenges can be overcome? And yes, definitely tackling a meal that and a recipe I've never done before can give you that sense of kind of pride, seeing something from start to finish that you've never even tried before. I don't know that I would go as far as to say it's a symbol of reassurance, but it, I think it, it says more about, it's a, more of a symbol of um, versatility because avocado can, you know, you associate it with Mexican food or guac or something like that. So it, it definitely shows 
at least to me, a sense of uh, versatility. Annie's mood did change. According to the book, an avocado is a symbol of reassurance, and the recipe should have a calming effect, which, as you heard, it did, sort of. But it didn't really deliver on the other, more emotional promises of the recipe. That's the case with another good friend, an accomplished cook, Homa. She made a lentil stew with kale for her family. Homa's perspective is really interesting, too. She wasn't buying into anything the authors say the recipe or ingredients could or should make you feel. Do you feel like you're doing the right thing by choosing to eat this meal, even a bit virtuous? If so, why? Hmm. I don't feel that eating the... I mean, not this dish or any dish for me is virtuous. I feel that food cannot be virtuous since food in itself is supposed to be nourish for your body and supposed to be good for you. Eating, uh, the other question, eating this dish is said to be an example of self-restraint that allows you to reassert the superiority of the mind over the body. Now that you have made this stew, does this seem credible? Um, personally, the statement doesn't seem to me credible. In choosing the stew over any other dish, I have never felt as though I have never restrained myself, but rather made a choice that was natural to my taste bud or to my own taste. I think she's saying that making a family meal doesn't necessarily make you feel virtuous. I know she's all about making fresh, wholesome meals, so maybe this lentil and kale stew just fits right into her repertoire. It's not particularly virtuous. It's not like choosing a non-fat, low-sugar yogurt over a Magnum bar. Where you're coming from as it relates to your food choices and meal preparation experience probably has a lot to do with if and how a specific recipe or ingredient plays on your emotions. An old colleague of mine, Richard, was a corporate chef for years. He agreed to make a basic risotto. It was at the end of a long day at work, so he says he was dog-tired when he ventured into his kitchen. Richard says, quote, I was still trying to digest last night's presidential debate. It gave me an emotional hangover that is equivalent to drinking too many shots of Goldschlager. And keep in mind, I don't do schnapps. Once he got going, though, it appears he was in his element. The kitchen is his domain and sanctuary. As thinking and eating predicts, the slow, patient stirring of arboreal rice into the stock is a meditative process that slows down your thinking. Richard agrees that his mind wandered from daily preoccupations, too, while preparing this basic risotto. In fact, he says making risotto is yoga class for cooks. But making risotto also brought on a rush of memories. This is something the recipe book can't account for. Richard says, memories fill my brain. As a young chef at the Four Seasons in D.C., I cooked this dish almost every night for over a year. At that time, instead of white wine and vegetable stock, I used vermouth and consomme, ridiculous, and a lot of saffron. Relaxation and pleasant reminiscing from a basic risotto. Finally, I want to return to the lemon drizzle cake. I asked my wife and consumer research partner, Farnaz, to test the limits of what lemons can do for your mood. Like Richard, she too reminisced about pleasant times and a specifically bright, lemon-hued place when she got to working with the lemons. 
So now we're coming to my favorite part of the recipe. I've done all the mixing, I've put all the ingredients together, and the only thing that's left to do is to zest the lemon and put that into the mix before I bake it. So zesting the lemon is my favorite part because it really does have a nice aroma. When you start zesting the lemon, it sort of releases that amazing citrusy smell that just takes you to spring and summer and sunshine days and sitting outside and for me it takes me to south of France which is my absolute favorite place in the whole wild world and so I, I really do like that and now that I'm doing it it does feel great. I love that part. So I, I do feel um, happy when I smell this. It's really quite nice, very pleasant smell. I did just have a slice of the finished lemon drizzle cake. And I must say, it was lovely, but it was sickly sweet. It could be that I went overboard with the drizzle and the sugar in the drizzle. And what I liked about it was exactly that, the nice lemon flavor and the moistness of the cake. That was absolutely wonderful. Nice, warm, moist cake with good lemon flavor. Am I less anxious about anything now that I've eaten this? Yes, I'm less anxious about the world in general. I think the cake has had a positive effect. It makes you not worry about what's going on. It makes you focus on the flavor and the texture and the temperature, the warmth. And so it does take things away from you, like anxiousness. Is my outlook brighter overall? I wouldn't go that far, but then again, I'm always usually optimistic about things, so I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Maybe my outlook is a little bit brighter overall. Do I have renewed faith in myself or my ability to tackle the biggest item on my to-do list? Yes, absolutely I do. And I think it's the sugar rush that has given me that zip of energy that I need. Uh, but I have a feeling the sugar rush is also going to make me crash very quickly. So I may not actually tackle the biggest item on my to-do list anytime soon. I would say lemon is a symbol of spring, summer, sunshine, south of France, and good times in general, which can ladder up to hope and optimism. So absolutely, I can say that. Yes, that is reasonable to say. This reaction is what the book wants you to believe lemons can elicit. Zesting and wringing the juice out of a lemon can maybe brighten your outlook, Farnaz agrees, but there are limits to how long this change in mood can last and how far it can go to solve problems. As I said before, this was by no means a tightly controlled experiment. My aim wasn't to tease out a measurable effect on an emotional state by using these specific ingredients and recipes. The mere act of preparing any meal, especially one using a recipe, and one that's new to you, can alter how you feel, 
can be proud or accomplished. I was hoping to gauge whether there is something to this notion, whether it's because the taste and texture actually send signals to a site in your brain associated with that specific emotion, or because the power of suggestion makes you believe that it is plausible for that specific food to alter the course of how you're feeling. Both mechanisms of action are powerful. I made a pea and mint soup after reading that preparing and eating the soup would leave me feeling refreshed and clear-headed. Clear-headed enough to see the simplicity in something that might be frustratingly complex. It was surprisingly refreshing. Light for a creamy soup, but still satisfying. The warmth cleared my head. And chopping mint does make you sort of snap too as well. You notice it. It's pleasant, and I kept wanting to inhale it. That's probably as far as I would have gone if somebody had asked me to describe my experience without reading what the philosophers, chefs, and psychologists who wrote this recipe book suggest a mint-laced dish can do. But because I did read about it, I'm willing to say that this pea and mint soup could pull me out of distraction. I felt more present, more alert. This is the power of suggestion. This little experiment makes me wonder about assigning my own symbolism to foods and recipes and meals. That could add something to the whole process. It could be a conversation starter when you next make a meal for guests, too. If nothing else, thinking and eating is fun to leave through. And if you don't have time to make any of the more involved recipes, it's reassuring to believe that just making a simple lemonade in the dead of winter on a subdued, colorless day, can transport you to a colorful, summery day. Well, that's all I've got for you on this episode of Talk To Me About Food. Thanks for listening, and I do hope you come back for more. Please also check out www.talktomeaboutfood.com to read other musings about the forces impacting our food choices on my blog.